Good morning, everyone. It's Monday, October 23rd. I'm Kelsey Litchfield of the Illinois Soybean Association. We are recording for the weekly crop progress report releases. So last week, I'll just share a little bit. Corn was harvested at 52%, and that's average for this time of year. Soybeans were above average at 61%, and it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Jim, I know we were talking, we had some rain in your area last week, rain forecasted for this upcoming week. So I have a feeling the numbers might be a little discombobulated, but we'll wait and see what's that. So with that information, I thought let's get together and do another harvest crop conditions update. So with me, I'll do a couple introductions. On this episode, we have Steve Wilkins with Golden Harvest. Steve, thanks for being here. Crystal Williams, one of our Illinois soybean soy envoys, um, and she's also an agronomist at Pioneer, and then Jim Donnelly with Bear. So Jim, if you don't mind, let's start with you. We'll just go around um, crop updates, if you have any yield reports, harvest conditions, the whole thing. Um, we'll just start with you and go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Kelsey. Um, so just, you know, for, for everybody's knowledge, you know, I, I cover a territory, essentially Interstate 80 up up to Wisconsin and and then kind of all the way across the state. So kind of give you some perspective on, you know, kind of the area that I'm looking at. But, um, you know, I would say from a from a progress standpoint, yeah, uh, Kelsey mentioned there at the beginning, you know, we had some areas that uh, had several inches of rain out of that last uh, last deal. And unfortunately, we're, we're looking at some staring us uh, directly in the face coming up here. But um, so we we did have a little bit of a stall um, prior, but, um, you know, I think we did have a, you know, pretty good, um, pretty good progress on what beans were left, um, especially maybe just prior to that. But I guess I feel like, um, you know, we're, we're really on the downhill slide on soybeans. You know, you drive around the countryside, there's a, there's a scattering of, of a few fields that are out there. Um, but for the most part, you know, we're, we're wrapping up. Um, if I had to put a number on it, it'd probably be somewhere around 85, 90% on soybeans. Um, corn, we made some progress here. Um, you know, we still have a good, good chunk to go. Um, you know, we're probably 30 to 40% harvested on corn, at least for this area. But so far, conditions have been decent. I've been pretty happy with yields. I think most everybody has been fairly pleased um, with yields. Um, you know, talking soybeans in particular, um, you know, I, I would I would say getting a lot of reports of, of 70s, you know, some 60s, few 80s, but a lot of a lot of 70 numbers. So um, I think overall, considering the dryness that we had this year, everybody's been uh, pretty darn pleased. Good. Thank you. Any corn yield reports that you're hearing? Um, the little that's maybe been come out? No, I, I would say the trend has been very good. Um, you know, I, I, I think we've had some cases that uh, they were a little bit disappointing. I would say it's been more towards very pleased. I mean, once again, uh, what little rain we had in a lot of different areas, I think expectations were pretty low, um, you know, including for many of us. Uh, and, and I think that's we, we've all been pleasantly surprised uh, with the yields. So, um, yeah, dry early is OK um, <laughs> in, in my book, as long as we get a 
few showers here and there. So yeah, as long as we get those timely rains later that's on, right. if we don't, uh, that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, Crystal, yeah, I'll right. jump it down to you. Yes. Thank you again, um, Kelsey, for having me. Um, so my name is Crystal Williams. I'm an agronomist here for Pioneer. I cover um, specifically the DeKalb and Kane County area up along Chicagoland, as well as um, kind of Boone McHenry County all the way along the state line to um, about Freeport Lena area. So um, kind of similar areas as Jim has. So um, yeah, really a similar um, message in terms of harvest progress. I would say um, yeah, a lot of those rains that, as I talked with peers across central and southern Illinois, um, I don't think they had as many of those rains to delay here um, that we experienced this last week. Um, but really, things kind of, the doors went wide open, and um, on I think it was like Thursday or Friday-ish last week, and then jumped right back into it. And um, this last weekend was really, really favorable in terms of getting some really critical soybean harvest out. Um, I know personally with my own family, I um, got to ride along in the combine um, and do a little bit of soybean harvest there. And I think the challenge with bean harvest at that, um, at this time is just as we're trying to wait and be patient with those soybean moistures coming back down after some rain. Um, and then you just kind of run in also a little bit into some of those chewy soybeans, um, just trying to anxiously wait for them to dry. But ultimately, we got to get them out of the field at some point. And um, so I understand some farmers might be dealing with some maybe possibly higher, higher moisture, excuse me, on soybeans this year. Um, and then um, from yields perspective on soybeans, I think a lot of what we're seeing and like Jim talked about, really some of those variable rainfalls. Um, I've seen a ton of variability. And as I talk to other people across the state, it seems like it's all over the place as well. Um, and so if you're hearing this and you don't have consistent soybean yields, don't feel bad like that you're doing something wrong or anything. Um, we all know that those rainfalls we had this year were so spotty, even within a mile or two might have changed. And so those timely rainfalls, whether you got an inch or two inches, we're seeing some pretty different swings. Um, I also would say the trend of planting early has been really beneficial this year, especially for soybean um, yields. So um, once you, if you were planting maybe the first week of May versus the last week of May, that made a lot of difference here this year for sure. Um, so yeah, so that's for soybeans. I guess any other questions on that, Kelsey? No, good. Um, shaking your head no. So I think no. Um, I I I like to tell people yes for the Illinois Soybean Association, but our agronomy takes a systems approach. So if you want to talk about corn, you're more than welcome to as right. well. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I um, have done a little bit of work with podcasting, and so I always love when like people shake their head yes or no, and so you never know what um, expression they're doing kind of thing. But um, so from a corn perspective. Um, again, I would say similar to what Jim said, um, really, I think I was probably being more cautious, um, in terms and versus optimistic in terms of yield predictions here this, um, summer and fall. Um, but really we've been really pleasantly surprised and, um, some of my areas that have literally had the lowest rainfall, um, specifically that Freeport area, lowest rainfall in the last 40 years and for the month of August. 
traditionally we would think right rainfall is super critical in August from a grain fill perspective um, but really we've been pleased in terms of test weight and um, for both and also um, just overall productivity for both corn and beans so yeah it's been much much better than what we thought it could have been so mm -hmm. that's a positive result of 23. I know one um, report from our last episode um, they were saying 100 bushel differences in the same field same planting date that just mm -hmm. the variabilities all over mm -hmm. the place and it's hard to get a field average that pulls in the whole field yes. and pulls into the big picture so it's just yep. mm -hmm. yeah so the um a great example of that is just um thinking of some i mean they might have had similar rainfalls or maybe variable rainfalls even within that field but um we were kind of talking earlier this season that it's not going to be a year of like oh look at how high of yield um, I could get it's more about look think about the yield average for that field um and as you think about truly soil variability within a given field um, I think we're seeing a ton of those differences just specifically based off of that um, alone so um, lots of components lots of um, head scratching this time of year in terms of okay why did something yield that way it did and um, that's the fun of the agronomist role. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keeps you on your toes. All right, mm -hmm. Steve, I'll push it over to you if you want to introduce yourself and give us your update. Yes. Thank you. Uh, and appreciate the opportunity to be on here, Kelsey. So um, Steve Wilkins and I work with uh, Syngenta and I represent the Golden Harvest brand. So I have a little different capacity. Um, I, I serve as more of a, of a manager of a handful of states of the agronomist. So I get a little bit broader view, um, Illinois, of course, and uh, some of the surrounding states as well. Uh, but when I look at Illinois, I think this year is a great year for learning. Um, as Crystal and Jim had said, the variability is real, uh, but we can learn a lot from that. So on the whole with soybeans, yeah, I think yields have exceeded expectations in many cases. Um, but I'll, I'll temper that by saying like some, some expectations were a little bit lower heading into it. So um, were yields record in each and every case? No, they weren't. But given the challenges we had in the growing season, I think the beans pulled through pretty good. And as we look at you know, winter webinars and training sessions coming up, I think we're going to spend a lot of time helping to to describe and tell people, hey, where does some of this yield come from? Because in many cases, um, it far exceeds uh, maybe what rationale uh, would have thought. So we did have some troubles, though. You know, there were some pockets of Illinois where they were getting just excessive amounts of heavy rainfall. And uh, that led to a couple of diseases that we're starting to see more of across the state, probably primarily in that you know, components of the the west central central part um, and so we had a couple of issues down there but um, for the most part uh, very very good and I think as Crystal said too we we're just seeing a huge response to planting date and uh, this is a trend that we've seen for years we don't see it changing uh, but the people that are out there early using a proper seed treatment to protect against some of our challenges with cooler wetter soils really really pay dividends and help the growers be more um, productive and and ultimately successful. So, um, and actually we got a couple of reports here over uh, late last week around some double crop beans coming out more south in the state and very, very good yields. Um, one guy pushing 70, a couple of other guys 
well into um, the 50s to low 60s. Uh, so that's uh, that was a, a pretty strong success as well, I would say, for the, the double crop type market. Great. Thank you. Um, one thing I do want to ask each of you is, you know, you talk about the growing season, the weather, always a factor, and then that pulls into disease. Um, we also talked about insect pressure last time, but and I hate to ask people to pinpoint things because it is a lot of factors that contribute. I know Stephanie, our outreach agronomist, she had an article last week talking SDS still exists. I mean, there's a lot of things that can pull into the disease pressure. But if you look back into the growing season, my question for each of you is what what do you what did you see as the main concern? There are a lot of concerns out there, but what did you see overall? was your main concern heading into harvest that affected these yields and I'll anyone can start I'll let, I'll let you take off with it yeah so I can I can go first um you know I would say in general when you look at at my whole territory um we didn't have a, a ton of disease but I will say that Really, as we got into August, we really started to see a fair amount of white mold. And I think that was a little bit of a surprise uh, for some, considering that, you know, when they look back over the previous two months, um, we really didn't have a lot of moisture, right? So, you know, the, the thought was we didn't have, you know, much rain outside of maybe some, you know, areas in Crystal's territory, you get to the Northeast where we had some localized heavy rains, things like that. Um, outside of that, like, why, why did we have so much white mold? And I think that that's a lesson into, um, you know, the, the right place at the right time, right conditions at the right time or, or wrong conditions at the wrong time. If, if you're the farmer, um, it, you know, it, it really just takes, um, you know, a, a few days or a week of, you know, heavy dews, high moisture in the morning, you know, um, right when those beans are flowering. So, and, and that's unfortunately a wide window, right? So we started R1, but as we even go through, um, you know, R3, we still have flowers that are senescing and act as great infection points. And unfortunately, in some of these areas, we had some heavy dews right during those weeks where we were flowering, and that served as a great environment um, uh, to white mold infection. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about early planning and, you know, that, that, that trend is here to stay. You know, we are going to continue to be doing high uh, early planning because the yields are there. The yields are there for, for early planning. Um, but those also create pretty darn good environments for, for white mold. You've got an earlier canopy, um, you know, that kind of holds that moisture in. So um, I think that was a little bit of a surprise for, for guys. And there were some areas that were pretty heavily impacted, you know, mm -hmm. maybe not always was it whole fields, but, but we had some areas in those fields that really got hit hard. So it's just a um, you know continuing lesson to make sure that we're still focusing on you know uh, variety tolerances to that. Um, in Northern Illinois, we should always be be looking at those ratings. Um, you know, I think you mentioned SDS. It wasn't it wasn't terrible, but again, as we continue to do 
you know, early planting. That's absolutely something that we focus on. I'm a huge uh, proponent of either Olivo or Saltro. I don't care as long as we're getting that on there if, if we're doing those earlier plantings. So from a soybean standpoint, that was probably the biggest one that really stuck out, at, at least in my area. Mm -hmm. That was going to be one question I was going, going to come up. I know white mold's an issue in the North. How bad was it this year? And I saw some some people talk about it, um, but I really didn't know how big of an issue it was. I know it's an issue, but mm -hmm. um, I hadn't seen people talking about it. So that was very good perspective. Thank you. Um, I'll let either Steve or Crystal take the next one. So what I would say, Kelsey, is what had me concerned heading into the fall was just the areas of extremes where we were so dry and then we would get a six inch rain followed by another four to five inch rain in quick durations. And that you go from one opposite to the other, that sets up challenges for all crops, um, especially soybeans. And then heading into this fall, I mean, we did see some incidents of um, some more charcoal rot, some more of the diaporthate complex, the stem cankers. Um, of course, red crown rock gets a lot of talk. And, you know, we had that as well in, in a growing pocket of Illinois. So um, you know, that was kind of in the back of my mind when we were in July, August, getting those rains. And then as we headed into harvest around September, um, we did see some issues there. So the white mold kind of, I would say, north of 80, kind of funneling itself down a little ways. And then after that, uh, some of the other ones and um, really good opportunity for farmers to take some crucial notes around their field histories now, because when these fields go back to beans, whether it's two years or longer rotation, um, a lot of those pathogens and disease, they're still going to be there. And so it'll have to really um, drive the decision that we make as far as what varieties we put on those farms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you said earlier, a great year for learning. So make sure you take some notes for next time. That's a good, that's, that's a good practice to have, to be honest. Uh, Crystal, I'll jump over to you. Um, you talk about learning and remembering sometimes it feels like we only remember just the last season or you know just within the last year or two so um very good call out there Steve and Kelsey but um very similar comments in terms of what Jim and Steve have already said um white mold um yes was very surprising um and really it just comes down to when we get that really critical or what was critical for this season um but really ultimately timely rain for 23 white mold infection um, here in, what was it, the first week of or so of um, July, right around the 4th of July. So um, with that rainfall, we kind of had that pop up a little bit more. Um, and I haven't got official results yet, but um, possibly a little bit of red crown rot as well. Um, just, I think it's in that Western Illinois area, pretty heavily, but we're, it looks a lot like sun death. So we're trying to better understand and make sure that um, at least rule it out that it's maybe not that or confirm that it is. And that way we can try to manage it a little bit better. So um, those are the top two for sure. All right. So um, to round all this out, one question I like to ask is now looking towards the spring, the next growing season, I know farmers are in their combines or grain carts, wherever that might be, um, thinking about next year. I know seed salesmen are pushing through those those final sales for seed. Um, but from an agronomist perspective, do you have any concerns heading into spring? I know one thing we talked about last time 
which it just depends on this rain that's going to come in. There are some concerns if we continue to be dry, the herbicide carryover, but any anything that you want farmers to know about heading into spring as they're making those decisions for their operation over the winter time. So I'll I'll jump in here. I don't I don't know that I would have necessarily any concerns, at least in my area, just from a moisture standpoint. Um, you know, we've gotten some replenishment, as you mentioned, Kelsey, at the beginning. Um, you know, we had some four-inch rains locally, so I, I don't really have any concerns. But um, there, there's probably some areas that that do remain dry, and and yes, if if they don't if they don't continue to receive rains, then that could open up some some issues as well. Um, it's a long time between now and spring, and and things can change. So I, I tend not to get too worried about some of those things um, as we get closer to spring and and we hammer those things out um, you know I, I guess we'll have a have a better handle on that one thing that I would say is is one thing that we can do now looking forward is so if if we take a or take a look at fertility one thing that we noticed earlier on because it was so dry, is that you know you could kind of pick out areas just driving around the countryside that were that were short on potassium levels and um, you know when you have dry years those are things that can stick out um, in a in a really really bad way and I try and encourage guys to take notes of that you know where those you know where those either spots are or those fields that you know turn yellow with with a potassium deficiency you know those are things that we can address now. So now is a great time if you notice that earlier or if one of your advisors noticed that, hey, let's get that soil tested. Or if we know that it's already short, let's make sure that we're we're addressing those areas. Because um, like you said, hey, if it's dry again next year, you're still going to have those issues. But those are things that we can we can act on now um, that will better whatever crop is growing there next year. So mm -hmm. just something to... to Remember, like Crystal mentioned, we have we all have short memories, and we're all <laughs> we're all looking at what just happened. Those are things that we can take and, and apply to next year. Yeah, the the dryness seems like forever to go. To be honest, and it's like no, that's a good point. That I know our farm included, we saw that. So again, write it down, take into account while you're doing soil testing um, as the crop gets out. Um, Steve or Crystal, I'll push it over to you. So another uh, to to add to what Jim said, um, fertility is always important. I think if most of our growers are honest with ourselves, we're, we haven't been putting down replacement, or certainly we haven't been putting down a build program for a very, very, very long time, and we continue to raise good yields. But um, you know, to a sense, there is no free lunch, uh, so we, we take fertility um, and a solid fertility program very serious. Uh, something that I'm looking at for next year is because we were so dry in so many areas, a lot of our herbicides probably didn't offer the weed control that we had hoped. So is there the concern for carryover? Oh, there certainly is. But I think we have some challenges going forward over just the general seed bank. Um, these weeds really were problematic in uh, many cases this year. So uh, one item that we've continued to see work and offer some um, I would say some level of uh, hope is people who are properly using cover crops, and I'll use properly pretty loosely. Uh, we have seen them help suppress, especially in beans, some of your um, um, smaller seeded 
weeds or amaranthus, things like that. And to the point that Jim and Crystal said earlier, uh, we certainly are able to pick up a, a strong correlation between reduced white mold, uh, where we had some level of a heavier type, I'll say rye cover crop too. So uh, something for a grower to think about. It doesn't fit every operation. It doesn't fit every situation. But in some cases, if it does, you know, that's, you know, this is the thing a viable option uh, for a handful of people to look at and and probably my last one for next year is, you know, as we're in the point of the year now where a lot of seed purchasing decisions have been or will be made, um, you know, we sell yield potential from an industry. We want growers to always maximize yield. Uh, so let's buy yield and then work with one of us, one of our companies, whoever a farmer chooses to do business with. And, and let's maximize what we have. And we'll we'll teach you the tricks of the trade of some of these products because um, the yield, yield in soybeans is high probably a lot higher than what a lot of growers get, even though they are impressed by some of the, the yields we're getting this year. So those are a couple of things I would add. Thank you, Crystal. Yes, um, I'm glad you brought up that seed bank, Steve, um, because I think that's probably the number one thing in my mind as um, yes, there were some um, fairly weedy fields here this last year and weed control was challenging for sure. So um just trying to take a proactive approach and um, making sure we're putting on um, a pre residuals, uh, multiple modes of action, you name it. Um, we only have a few select tools here in our soybean industry to control weeds. Um, and that pool isn't really getting that much bigger here in the meantime. So um, let's try to leverage and protect those tools as much as um, we can. Um, and then flipping to corn. Um, one thing that I, We'll continue to advocate regardless of what your um, system is out for your corn acres. But um, if you're in a corn rootworm area, um, I really encourage you just be very proactive in terms of managing corn rootworm. They love a dry May and June, and they also love a dry August, September. So we kind of had a little bit of both of those here, and um, I would anticipate a pretty hot load of um larva or egg potential out there um, for 2024. So something we want to keep proactively in our mind. Great. So, Thanks. Kelsey, to Kristen's point, on corn rootworm, uh, we've seen a big change in, in the northerns. Um, and we've also seen a lot more eggs being laid in bean fields. So that's likely to continue. Um, it, it'd be great for a lot of um, Illinois growers to be putting traps in both fields because there's a switch going on there that I think we're still trying to understand, uh, but that's that's a real deal that's happening here north of Interstate 80. Yeah, good call out because I know at one of our field days this past summer, Dr. Nick Sider um, from the University of Illinois, he was handing out traps like all over the place. He goes, please put these in your fields. Please put them in soybean fields. Um, we want to try to get as accurate of where they are, what's happening as possible. So I know um, the University of Illinois Extension has that possibility with gathering traps and putting them out in fields. So that's a very good call out as well. Um, and the about three minutes we have left here, anything else you want to bring up? Not, anything we didn't touch on? As we look at next year, you know, Crystal said it too, the herbicides, we continue to be limited in scope. Sometimes you could argue limited in effectiveness. Um, so just know your program, know your dates. Plans always never go as planned, but it's you know it's easy to keep 
I shouldn't say it's easy. The best weed control in beans to me is to keep your cornfields clean. And we had a lot of dirty cornfields this year. And I'm not saying it's anyone's fault. It's just a year in the hand we were dealt. So that really, really is a challenge uh, going forward to, to how are we going to keep our bean fields in an acceptable level. And uh, so that's just probably got to sharpen our pencil a little bit more heading into next year on that. And there's really no, no new silver bullet coming, unfortunately, in the, in the near term to help us out there. And I would add that, um, you know, the year that we had was not favorable for residual products, right? I mean, it did not rain and therefore we did, we, at least in our territory, therefore we didn't get a lot of uh, activation of those residuals. I, I guess one thing that I would encourage is farmers not to get discouraged on the use of those residual products. They are still very important. Um, the best way to kill a weed is to not let it emerge. Um, and that's really the best way, one of the best ways to not, uh, or to prolong, you know, resistance as well is to not let them emerge. So, <clears throat> you know, don't take this year as, you know, these residual products don't work. Uh, you know, this is an exceptional year. So more than likely most years, you're going to get some level of activation. Please continue to utilize them. Um, that's going to be best for weed control, reducing your seed bank and prolonging resistance. So that, that would be my message is continue to throw them in the tank. Jim, you took the words right out of my mouth. So that's exactly what no, I was going to say. Yep. <laughs> so, Greek <laughs> Easiest weed to control is the one that you never see. Yeah, and, and and I think that's that's just a mindset change that we have to that we have to get past. I guess we are, you know, we were so used to you know putting our res residual down, waiting for re weeds to get you know quote unquote four inches tall, and burning them down, and and we're done. You know, um, we've been spoiled, and and we have to go back to relying on residuals. So. Um, you know, regardless of what the system is that you use, um, we, we have to be utilizing residuals, um, for, from here on forward. Well, thank you, Steve, Jim, and Crystal for coming on on a Monday morning, right after fresh after a weekend to give us a harvest and crop update. Um, real quickly, if you could each just tell people how to get a hold of you, if they want to talk more about what we've talked about today, Steve, let's start with you. Sure. Um, call anytime. My cell number is 920-889-5509 or um, steve.wilkins at stgenna.com. Jim? Yeah, you can reach my mobile, 815-878-1371. I'm also on Twitter uh, at jimdonnelly1. And then you can reach me by email jim.donnelly, D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y at bear.com. Thank you. Crystal? Yes, my mobile is 815-826-0024. Um, and my email is crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L, dot williams at pioneer.com. 